the, the whole thing of Market Sunday and talking about serving is part of our series on spiritual disciplines, but it's also tied very much to our key passage for the year and theme for the year. And the key passage is from Mark 3:13 and following, which says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. I love that they responded, even though it meant climbing a mountain. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and here's the crux, and that he might send them out and that He might send them out, commission them. So it's important to be with them, but the outcome of that, the fruit of that is that we are sent out to touch the lives of others, to serve others. And so in this series we're in called Rhythms of Grace, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And the word discipline and spiritual disciplines for some sounds onerous or maybe even conjure up something legalistic in your head. And that's not the spirit in which we're addressing it, or indeed, which the Scriptures address it. These are ancient principles of encountering God. And Jesus talked about, come to me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And a spiritual discipline, if it's done in a correct way, flows out of grace into grace. It's part of the rhythm of grace. And so we've kind of given this working thing that a spiritual discipline is a life-giving habit of grace that positions us in a place where we encounter Jesus and by His grace, He transforms us. It might sound a bit of a mouthful, but it's something you do. It's not something you just theologize about or theorize about or philosophize. It's actually something you do as a spiritual habit and it's a practical thing that actually puts you in a place where God can encounter you. And so with serving, it's one of the ones that they call an outward discipline. We're talking about reading the Word, fasting, and these are inward disciplines, but this is one of the outward disciplines. And so I've entitled this morning's message under the rhythms of grace, it's your serve. It's your serve. And serving embraces worship. Jesus said in response to the devil when he was tempted that you should love the Lord your God or you should worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. He ties worship and serving. Serving is not just a Sunday thing or a church-related thing. Although there is a lot in Scripture and we'll take that slant this morning about serving the body of Christ, serving one another. But serving also includes, as I said, an expression of worship. It also includes how we actually do our lives and how we even, if you're employed by somebody else, how you do that. Because whatever you do, if you do it as unto the Lord, it's considered as service for the Lord. And we'll explore that a little bit as well. So I'm saying up front, including for our campus online, that that servant is not just, well, I've got to do something. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's an expression of worship. It is something that translates into every part of our lives, what we do as unto the Lord. And no task is menial or unspiritual if it's done unto the Lord. So the Gospel of Mark, because we're going to come to a theme verse for this morning's message. The Gospel of Mark is called the Go Gospel. And it depicts Jesus as the one who's come to serve humanity. And so 
there's no genealogy because a servant, you don't care about their genealogy. All the other gospels have a genealogy. Mark doesn't. And within it, you find phrases and immediately he went and did that. Or straight away, he went, there's that sense, he's on mission, he's doing stuff. It's not frantic because there are times out, there is silence and solitude as one of the spiritual disciplines. We looked at it a few weeks ago. But it's the gospel of the servant saviour. And the acknowledged key verse that pulls the whole gospel together and summarises the gospel of Mark is Mark 10 and verse 45, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. I just want that to settle for a moment. As you look at it on the screen, perhaps. For even... The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I would ask this morning, what do you make of that declaration of Jesus? Or maybe a slightly better question is how do you read it? Not just, I want you to notice, what did you read? Or what do the words mean even? And there's merit in looking at what servant means and serve means in the Greek. But how do you read it? In other words, how do you engage with that? How do I engage with that? Or another question is, what will the declaration make of us? When we read that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I would say that it should inspire us to be servants like our master. And effective servants don't just theorise about things, they action things. Because we are created anew in Christ Jesus to serve God. And it's not as if God is just running out of servants. I can remember with our kids, one time when we gave them tasks and one of them snapped back, you can imagine which one, that we'd only had them so we could have slaves around the house. Well, how many other parents? You've had that kind of response. The most expensive slaves in history. Just, you know, uh, but it's not that in the heart of God. Because he's got myriads of angels who instantly obey, who don't argue and question and try to excuse themselves like some of us do sometimes. I'm speaking of myself, not just what you may do. But listen to this in Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. Paul is emphasising something here. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul puts this concept of works in two sentences. He said, I want you to know you are not working for your salvation. It is a free gift from God. If you haven't yet said to Jesus and you, yes to Jesus and you're feeling guilty and shame or whatever else, working your way to God is not God's way. 
accepting the free gift of all that Jesus did for us on the cross and in His suffering and in the power of His resurrection. That's the gift of God that brings salvation, not by works. But immediately He then goes, but you need to know you are God's handiwork. The mean, word literally means God's poem. He's creating something out of your life, your circumstances, your opportunities, so you can do the good works. So out of salvation, what should flow, a group of people who are passionate about serving, about doing the things that God prepared for us before. And again, I want to stress, this is bigger than just Sunday or services or the, although that's important that we serve each other, but it's the whole way we live life. Serving God is not a job for those who are casually interested because Jesus says, I want your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost your life. If any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me, Jesus said. And our serving and our attitude towards serving in expressions of worship, in our workplace, in all those situations I mentioned early, should be our priority, not a pastime. God doesn't want servants to offer Him the leftovers. And when you and I are born again, our sins are forgiven and the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience so that according to Hebrews 9 verse 14, we can serve the living God. The, the, the forgiveness, the grace is so that we can be in a right relationship with God through all that Jesus did so that we can serve the living God. And so I want to just talk about a few things that should motivate us towards serving. Yes, in opportunities in church life, but yes, also in our attitude of the way we do life and look for opportunities to serve people outside of these four walls. And of course, the first and the most powerful thing is we should be motivated by Christ's example. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, and he says a similar thing in Colossians 3, 22 and following. He says, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of for whatever good they do. Now, there's just so much in that passage. But again, I want to ask the question, how do you read it? Not just what did you read? But how did you read it? What impact does it have on your heart and your soul? And he uses the word slave, which in our modern day context and in the ancient was a terrible thing. But the word here has a background. It's actually a bond slave. Somebody who says, I love my master and I don't want to leave them. It's not slavery motored out of fear and oppression and it's exact opposite and I don't have time this morning to fully unpack that but that word there is somebody who says I love my master and I don't want to leave I don't want to leave and he says serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people it's great to serve people but when you do it as unto the Lord the motivation changes because you and I will only do so much for people and then we'll get to a point where they irritate us. Maybe just me. Maybe just the people in the online, you know. No, we all can find those moments. 
He says, no, don't do it for them. Help them, be a blessing, but do it as unto the Lord. And without Christ, we were slaves anyway. We were slaves to sin and death. And Jesus has set us free, not so that we can serve ourselves, but we can serve Him by serving others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, for you are not your own, you are bought with a price. And he speaks of it as the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, honour God with your bodies, with what you do. So we first and foremost are motivated by Christ. Secondly, and I think this is important, and it goes back to the passage we read in Ephesians, we are motivated by forgiveness and not by guilt. I love the story of the prophet Isaiah who's called to serve a nation that is in total chaos for their disobedience and all sorts of things. And in the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah sees the Lord. And we pick up the reading, Isaiah 6, 5 and following. And he says, woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, said me. And that sequence is so important. You see, God is not calling Isaiah out of guilt and obligation. That's not the motivation. Guilt and obligation and fear are, are motivations unworthy of the kingdom of God. But out of forgiveness, out of grace, out of Isaiah going, I've been cleansed. My guilt has been removed. God, what can I do? What can I do? And so we're motivated by Christ. We're motivated by forgiveness and not guilt. I think we should also be motivated by gratitude. In 1 Samuel 12 and verse 24, be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things He has done for you. Consider what great things he has done for you. Serve the Lord with fear. It's not cowering fear, but that awe of God, that reverence of God that he's speaking of. And he says, serve him faithfully. And every so often, if you need to motivate yourself a little bit, just remind yourself of the great things he has done for you. And sometimes when we're under pressure or we're going through a dry patch, we can find ingratitude creeping in our hearts. And the Bible over and over again reminds us to be thankful to the Lord for all the things He has done for us. And obviously, first and foremost, and greatest of all, is the gift of salvation, which none of us could earn, none of us deserved, but is freely given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'd say, if you haven't received that, Today could be your opportunity to say, yes, I want forgiveness. Or if you've drifted away and you're feeling a sense of guilt and shame and will God take me back? Of course He will. You start walking back towards God and He runs to meet you, according to the story of the prodigal son. 
But be sure to reverence, to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully, again, with all your heart, and consider what great things He has done for you. And so Psalm 100 reminds us, serve the Lord with a long, sad face and grump and complain as much as you can and demonstrate to everybody how you inconvenience by helping them. That's in the original Hebrew. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. But sometimes, maybe I've done that, just had an attitude that was not godly. He says, now serve the Lord with gladness, with joy. So we should be motivated by Christ, motivated by forgiveness and not guilt, motivated by gratitude, just thankfulness for all the things the Lord has done. And even if you're in a tough place, God has a way forward for you. Fourthly, we should be motivated by love. At the very heart of service is an overflow of love. And admittedly, at the times we don't always feel the love. Or is it just me? (laughs) But love is a choice as much as it is an emotion. And Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. You see, Paul in the book of Galatians has spent the first five chapters up to this point, this is the middle, obviously, of chapter five, to write a declaration of freedom, of liberation for every single person who follows God, who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. He is stressing, don't go back under the old system of legalism and ought to and have to and motivated by guilt and fear. He says, don't do that. Jesus has set you free. For five chapters, Paul has proclaimed, you're free. You're free from sin. You're free from guilt. You're free from rules. You're free from regulations. You're free from the law. The yoke of slavery has been cast off. Your liberation has begun. And then he says, but just, just, just get some perspective. Your freedom is not so that you can indulge yourself. Your freedom is so that you can humbly serve others out of love. God is unlocking your heart, unlocking your mind, your attitudes. And yes, there's wrestling in it and we don't always get it right all the time. But he says it's there so that you, out of that sense of freedom and the love of God in your heart, begin to do something for others. The first thing, it's only 20 of these. Now this is, I cut it back. I had a lot of, it is, we, we are motivated obviously by Christ's example. We're motivated by forgiveness and not guilt, motivated by gratitude, motivated by love, but we're motivated by the gifts that God has given us. And at the very moment you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says you are born again or born of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit makes you alive, begins to dwell within you and makes you alive to God. And in that very moment, He brings gifts to your life. 
And He also wants to use the things you've learned and the abilities and all the rest of it. All of those are part of what God wants to use in your life and for others. But the Holy Spirit comes, 1 Corinthians 12, 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. The first thought here is every one of us has got a gift. If we are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we have gifts. It's given. It's assumed by Peter. It's it's declared. You've got gifts. What are you doing with them? Have you unpacked them? Have you explored them? And in our next steps thing, we we help you with that and help guide you in that. It's not, well, you will do that. It's just, these are your gifts. This is where that could fit. Have a go at it, try. And that's part of what Market Sunday is about, just exploring. Look, I think I might have something to offer in that. And if it doesn't work, it's a five-year sentence. (laughs) No, it's not. And we don't want flighty stuff, but you can explore and go, look, this is not for me. I think I'd like to try something else. But he says, you've got a gift, use it to serve others because you, as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various form, do you realise that when you use the gifts with the right attitude, with the right spirit, you actually impart grace to whoever you are serving? You impart grace because the gift that God gives you is wrapped and released and made better by the grace of God that flows through you. It's a wonderful thing. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, and this is maybe just an exhortation for some who maybe feel a little bit tired a little bit worn out by serving, whether here in the house or in life in general. He says, God is not unjust, Hebrews 6.10. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Now, when you notice in this passage, the exhortation is serving in the body of Christ, serving fellow believers, And I hope I've said it well enough that it doesn't just end there, but it should be a starting place and somewhere we should find an expression to serve others. God's not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. It's your serve. It's your choice. What Jesus teaches us about service and self-sacrifice. It's not just simply a kingdom principle, but a pattern of his own life that he calls us to emulate. Listen to what Paul says. It's one of the most magnificent declarations in the New Testament, Philippians 2, verse 3 and following. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now that in itself is challenging. There's a whole lot of things we could touch on there. But then he gives us an example. And he says in the next passage, next part of the passage, uh, 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 next part of the passage, sorry. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. One translation says that the same attitude as was in Christ Jesus be in you. But have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Wow. Paul says to the Philippian church, to us down through the ages, I want you to serve with humility. I want you to put others before yourself. I want you to have a good attitude. And he says, I just want to remind you, that's what Jesus did. Even though he was God, he laid that down. It's called the kenosis. He emptied himself and he became a servant to serve us with his life and ultimately with his death. I want to draw this to a close. The parable of the Good Samaritan is probably one of Jesus' most well-known teachings. And I think we're all familiar, at the very least, with the concept uh, that a man travelling on a journey gets attacked and beaten up and he's left for dead. And a scribe, a religious lawyer, uh, sees him and walks on the other side of the road to avoid him. So does a priest. And then a Samaritan, who's the Jews and the Samaritans despised each other. The least likely person comes along and helps him. One of the things that's worth noting, he doesn't fix everything, but he does what he can. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. He does what he can to help. But the background conversation to Jesus telling that parable that is so insightful, that answers the question, who's my neighbour? Who's the one that I should be helping? Is also very challenging. And in Luke 10 verse 25, it says on one occasion, this is the background to the telling of the story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test it. Jesus. The word there is to attack, to provoke, to test, to entrap. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. And then this little phrase that you may have worked out I've been using this morning. How do you read it? You see, this is a man who loves to debate, who loves to take words from Scripture and verses 
And he's very astute because the answer he gives Jesus, he says, you've answered well. You've answered well. But Jesus, knowing this is a setup and knowing that this man ultimately is just trying to justify or excuse himself, asks this poignant question. He doesn't ask him, what do you, did you read? Or what do the words that you've quoted mean? So he can play with the text and find ways around it and excuse himself from it. He says, how did you read it? Did you read it so you could judge others? Did you read it so you could philosophize like you're doing now is inferred and come up with some theory and some theology that places no demand on your life? Or did you read it and say, God, how do I live it? How did you read it? And in a sense, that's a challenge every time we open Scriptures for all of us. How are we reading this? Or is it just, what did I read? How did you read it? There was nothing wrong with the scholar's knowledge of Scripture, but there was something terribly wrong in the way he read it. And it becomes evident because he wanted to justify himself. He wants to talk about it, treat it as a text, dissect it, analyse it, discuss it, theorise about it. But Jesus won't play that game with him and dare I say with us. Because the Word of God is not something just to be picked apart, theorised and theologised and it's Great to have good theology. The Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Because whether it's that scholar or you and I this morning, Jesus is looking for a response not theology. He's looking for a response. How do you read it? We're just going to pause for a minute. And I'd like you to reflect on the story of the Good Samaritan. I outlined it a moment ago. A scholar, just like this man, Jesus said in his story, walked past this person in need saw him and crossed to the other side, pretending he hadn't seen it. So did a priest who was either going or coming back from duties in the temple. And then the unlikely hero, the Samaritan, does something. He actually crosses towards the man. And here's a thought on how we read this. Just picture yourself for a moment being the scribe and then maybe the priest. And inviting the Holy Spirit to show you, if that were me, why would I walk away? What is it in me as a human being that says, I don't wanna get, and, and at times I know we can get overwhelmed by need. I'm trying to walk a tightrope here. It's not about guilt. But just for the story, to do its work and speak to our hearts. Why would we walk away? 
And then, what was it in the Samaritan's heart? Who probably could justify why he shouldn't help a Jew because of the animosity between those peoples in those days. What was it in his heart? It said, no, I'm going to go help. I'll do something to make a difference in somebody else's life. And then reflect that Jesus is even greater than the Good Samaritan. Because as much as the Good Samaritan did, he continued on his journey, made sure the man was looked after and then came back and checked if he was okay. But he didn't suspend the whole of his life. But Jesus did. He laid down His whole life to extend salvation to us, to do all the work so that it's not by works that we're saved, but grace. But then we are saved so we can do the good works that God has planned for us.